You've seen him answering your questions on the Order of Man podcast alongside Ryan Mickler. Today's guest is Kip Sorensen. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher, and I am so glad that you guys chose to tune in today. Listen, this podcast is about men becoming better men together. It's about us investing in our personal development. It's about us growing and learning. And it's not just a podcast that you listen to on Spotify or iTunes, which I'm glad that you do, or on YouTube. I'm glad that you do, but it's more than that. This is a movement. This is meant to be something that gets into our everyday lives, that affects our marriages, our workplaces, our families. This is more than just me spewing out things that I've learned. This is us learning together. And so I'm very grateful that you chose to join in with this movement. And if you're a man and you want to get plugged in deeper and you want to dig in and really learn and be a part of things, I want to encourage you to go to our private Facebook group, The Manlyhood Man Cave, and you can sign up there. And I'd love to have you in the group. We can help you as you grow on your journey of manhood. So today's guest is a leader and a mentor in his own right. And he's got an amazing story of what he has been able to accomplish, the way he leads his family and the way that he leads at his job. And I'm really glad to be able to present this interview with you. And I'm really glad to be able to present this interview to you with Kip Sorensen. Kip, it's great to have you on the show. I, uh, I have appreciated watching the the work that you're doing, especially the stuff that you've done with Ryan Mickler at Order of Man and, and your own stuff as well. It's been really kind of neat to watch. So I'm glad to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be on the show. And, and as you know, um, there's just power in banding together and, and having powerful conversations. And, and hopefully our conversation today resonates for some of your listeners. And, and ultimately, that's how we all grow, right? And that's how we Iron sharpens iron, I guess. And it, at least in the podcast world, this is how we do it. So definitely. Well, I know I've been able to have a, a pretty cool variety of guests on. And every time I finish an episode where we record it, I'm like, I think I got more out of that than my guests will. <laughs> you know, I'm totally. always learning and, and, and absorbing from it. So I definitely, Dude, I, yeah, I can relate to that all the time. I mean, we, we do a, an ask me anything show every week and and, and, and the idea is sometimes I feel like we're just talking to ourselves and having an echo chamber. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest, like sometimes I think, you know, no one needs this. This is common sense. And then you get messages from guys that are like, that was profound or that's exactly what I needed to hear. And, and it, it reassures what we're doing and what you're doing is, is leaving a lasting impact for guys. But, um, but I, I just echoing the same thing, man. I mean, just being part of the conversation and, and being intent and uh, intentional about what we're thinking about. Right. I mean, you and I could just sit here probably and have an intellectual conversation for the next hour about important things. And we're both going to walk away better. And it's, and it's really because we're putting effort towards things that matter and we're giving some thought to it. And so, 
yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I, I wonder if I benefit more than anybody else. So, yeah, definitely. I can relate to that a hundred percent. So, so, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do. I mean, obviously there's the podcast stuff that you're doing with Ryan at order of man yeah. where, um, you know, you guys do an ask me anything show once a week with him, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he does an interview show typically with like more high caliber guys than myself, uh, on Tuesdays. And then on Wednesdays is the ask me anything and we'll field questions from our Facebook group or from our, our membership group, or even, I think we've done even Instagram a few times. And then Friday is kind of, um, Ryan's opportunity to uh, soapbox about whatever's pissing him off for the week. And that's yeah. usually, that's usually what he calls the Friday field notes. I, I think it's his way of just venting and you should just call it the venting session, but, um, it's usually quick, dirty, straight to the point comments on Friday. <laughs> Understand. So, so that's kind of the, the creative side, or at least kind of the partnership that you're doing there. What about, what do you do? Do you have a, a day job? job? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I totally. hate that question. Cause I get no. it. But. Yeah. It's funny. Um, yeah, it's funny because often I think people assume that I'm just in the trenches with him full time and that's my job. Uh, no, it, it's, it, it plays a very, I shouldn't say it plays a small part. It's highly rewarding. And I think what we're doing there is impactful and it really feeds uh, my desire that I have to, to leave a lasting impact. With that said, though, it doesn't pay the bills necessarily. And so um, I am actually a pra- what you call a practice director um, for an IT consulting firm based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, we're a Microsoft consulting firm. We specialize in all things Microsoft services. And uh, me and my team, we specialize around collaboration and content management. So uh, for those not in this space, we help large organizations address the issues around the sharing and the collaboration of knowledge and how they can become more efficient around how they store, access. And then you can start thinking like on a larger scale, like a lot of companies have retention policies and legal requirements around documents and security. And there's a whole gamut, right? And so we really play in that space of knowledge management, which is getting the right information to the right people at the right time. And that's really our focus. So it's so pretty technical with what you do. Yeah. Do you find, are you doing a lot of the hands-on technical stuff or do you find that you're doing more of the leadership? Yeah. Yeah. So the firm, I ran my own consulting firm for, geez, probably about 15 years mm-hmm. and uh, kind of tra- traveled the globe as a result of it. I, I at first was a primarily an independent consultant that was just really good at what I did. Um, eventually grew my team and, and had a consulting firm that I called Soren. Um, and roughly about four years ago, I merged with one of my competitors, which is the company's called journey team. And then I came on board as a leader, uh, within that organization. And then at this point, I'm kind of in this no man's land of, of leadership. And it's a little bit of a joking thing. And maybe I shouldn't even be disclosing these details, but at one point, roughly about less than a month ago. I was the chief people officer and I was actually in charge of driving company culture and the development of employees, which I was very excited about, uh, love the idea. Um, and it's still a passion of mine, um, a little bit more of a passion probably within the order of man and iron council now, less necessarily here, just because, um, 
I think we had a little bit of alignment differences of how I think it should be done. Um, and the, and the owner probably saw it a little bit different. And so, you know what I mean? I've, I've, sure. I've chosen not to take on that role, but, um, but still I'm part of kind of that executive team here. So I'm, I dabble and I'm trying not to dabble. This is actually one of my Achilles heels is, is delegating, letting go, um, and letting go of the idea that the way I do it is the primary and the correct way. And if someone doesn't do it my way, then it possibly can't be the best way. So I, this, that's my next lot in life is figuring out how to let go of, of my current responsibilities so I can move on. Isn't that always the, the hang up with leadership though is it's tough. Yeah. We, we always wanted like do it all because we know yep. we can do it better than anybody. I don't yeah. know, man, I'm, I'm learning that myself in different ways different ways and different areas where I'm like, man, if I would have just like, let go of that, I probably would have done a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or you could be really great at what you do. Right. But you can't take on the next challenge, right. If you're not replaceable. Right. Right. And, um, and so my focus now is, is just making myself more replaceable at this moment. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I know that we had you scheduled before, and I don't know if this is too personal or not, but I- No, it's I not. I can I already ask. tell you it's not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fine. I, good. Because, uh, you know, we had you scheduled before, and then your dad got sick and passed away. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I guess on a personal level, how you doing? I'm doing well. I, um, Ironically enough, even me stepping down from that executive position, um, <laughs> there's a little bit of uh, thought from my- my my fellow executives that uh, it's probably just I'm in an emotional state <laughs> that uh, I'm like, you know what, leave me alone. Let me uh, get heads down and uh, let me just downplay the level of stress that I'm taking on. Um, but no, I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. And, and as ironic or it's not really ironic, I don't know what it is. Um, the experience of, of him passing leading up to his death, uh, me dealing with his funeral and, and I took, and, and I'm not saying this to sound like good or, you know, an attempt to, you know, sound better than I am. Um, uh, but I took on the breath of organizing his funeral and taking care of a bunch of things. And so I was really busy with that process and through that process and how the funeral went, um, I am a better person. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a really great learning experience. Um, and I'm not, Josh, I'm not sure if you're a religious guy, but I felt, um, God's grace during that time. And, um, and I'm grateful it, it went the way it went and that we were able to honor him the way that we did. Um, so I, I feel blessed as odd as that may sound, uh, despite the fact that, uh, that he's passed away. So no, well, I actually am a, a Christian and, uh, you know, there's a scripture that says we we don't grieve as those who have no hope. You know, yeah. And so I know that totally. I can relate to that 100. percent There's, I lost my dad uh, a few years ago. He had a, a cancer and had recovered, and then was having some more problems. And basically, either they didn't get rid of it all, or it came back. We still haven't figured all that out. Yeah. And uh, it was a long journey. It was difficult. It was painful. Losing him was almost a relief because we hated to see him suffer. You know. And then, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, man, the funeral, like I, like we were determined to have a funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and we kind of took a different, different angle on it because of the kind of guy my dad was, but yeah, there's kind of a moment there, you know? Um, did you, did you say a eulogy for him? Like, did you speak at all? Yeah, I did. I, I dedicated his grave, um, 
so there's a bunch of things I did that I, I never, <laughs> I just, I didn't know these were things, right? Like for right. instance, I had no idea that in tradition, or at least in Christian tradition, that his body's to the, if you're facing West, that his body's to the left and my mom's future grave will be to his right. The same stance that they take when you get married, right? Like it's these things that I'm just like, interesting, right? I never prepared a body before for burial. That's one thing that, that I wanted to participate on. It's my dad. I didn't want some elusive mortuary employee um, preparing his body. Those guys are kind of creepy anyway, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and there's other things, you know, I wanted to bury him. I, I didn't want to shun this idea of like, Hey, let's celebrate his life. And then let's like magically walk away and pretend he's getting buried by someone else with a backhoe, right? Like that bothered me for whatever reason. And so, and, and also care, the carrying of his casket. Right. And, and I came to that conclusion for myself a few years ago when I was at a, at a, at a funeral and I see these pallbearers like Will in a cart around. And I'm like, F that. I'm like, no, no, no. If you're a pallbearer, you muscle up and you carry my body, right? Like man up and do it. And if, and if you're not strong enough, you're not the pallbearer, hmm. right? Like that, that is your responsibility of that title. Right. And so I had these strong opinions. One, no one, no cart should be carrying his body. That's our job. And then second, no backhoe is going to backfill his grave. And so, um, so I talked to my siblings, you know, ran it by my mom in, in, in regards to honoring her requests and said, Hey mom, I, I want to bury him. And she's like, I love it. And so, you know, we, we pretended that we're all saying goodbye and people left for like a luncheon somewhere else. And then me and my siblings and a few close, super close friends stuck back and we spent the next couple hours, you know, backfilling his grave. And so, and I said some words as well, um, yeah, but all those experiences were just profound for me. Like it was, it was exactly, it, it, it worked out perfect. Hmm. Yeah, it was great. That's actually a really, I don't want to say innovative because it's actually more traditional or old fashioned approach to <laughs> totally, that. Like, totally. Like, you know, that's a William Wallace way to kind of handle that, you know, and yeah. it's actually, uh, I think that's actually a would be a powerful experience. And I wish I would have even thought about that. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and it's, and it's an example of how the world typically does things, right? Josh, like everything's about minimize, minimize the uncomfortable, right? As, as though it's wrong. Oh, well, it's uncomfortable per, to prepare their body. So, you know what I mean? You don't need to do that. Just pay us to do it. And, oh, it's uncomfortable to shovel dirt. You know what I mean? For an hour and a half. Right. So, you know, pay someone else and we'll take, you know, and it's like, well, actually, maybe that's there for a reason. Right. Maybe that's part of the grieving process. And that is exactly what my siblings and I needed to do together to work hard, to break some sweat out of respect of our father, you know, and and it was it ended up being just perfect. Like I, I seriously like when I look back at it, I'm like, I'm so happy with how that day went. It went really, really well. So, yeah, that's a it's powerful, man powerful. So, um, I've had, you know, I've had the privilege of talking with a lot of people through that process. It was funny cause I lost several friends, lost my dad and then lost several more friends over the course of the past few years. And yeah. I basically got to the place where I'm like, Hey friends uh, and family, <laughs> nobody else die because I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't mean to sound morbid, but, um, 
first off, I'm the youngest of, of nine kids, big wow. Mormon family. And, and that means I have a whole lot of uncles and aunts Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of brothers and sisters, all older than I am. <laughs> and it dawned on me actually at my dad's funeral. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna have to get used to this because yeah. there's a lot of people ahead of that on that escalator in front of me, and and there's a high probability, right, that um, I'm gonna have to do this a bunch of times. The interesting part is, and this is the part that sounds a little morbid, but I told my wife, I'm like, you know, by the time I'm old enough and I'm kind of getting close. I think I'll welcome death because at that point, you know, I'm probably done, you know, you're like mentally exhausted, you know, like I, I don't want to do it anymore. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't imagine doing bearing like the equivalent of me bearing my father probably 10 more times after probably about 10 more times. I think I'd be, you know what? <laughs> Life was good. Thanks for the op. You know, I, I I'm tired. I, I want to call it quits. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and hopefully that's the case, right? Like I, and I, and I, to be frank, I kind of feel like my dad felt that way, you know, mm-hmm. in his last uh, few months on, on, yeah. on life is he was, he was kind of done. So anyhow, I totally interrupted you, Josh, what you're about to say. No, I was really just saying it to see what I could get you to say. We were starting the process. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is a conversation. We're all good, man. So, um, the grieving process, right. The emotions behind it. Um, you know, I, I, tend to view you kind of as a stoic person because in the show that you do with Ryan and when you're, you're doing the ask me anything, you know, that approach has been very stoic. Yeah. You know, I think, um, but obviously there's a lot of emotion surrounding (laughs) grief, you know, how, how is that affecting you? Yeah. I, it's funny. I, um, I remember years ago I was listening to the Jocko podcast and, and I don't know, every so often they do questions. I don't know when they do them or what episode this was. I mean, you know how his episodes are. It's like sure. two hours later, you're, you covered every subject known to man, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I was listening to some app and I remember someone called in and saying, how do you deal with grief? And Jocko's response, at least my interpretation or how, at least how I remember it was something to do equivalent of it's, it's going to be like waves and you're going to be in the ocean and you're going to feel fine and think, hey, you know what? I, I'm not affected by this. And then all of a sudden waves will crash on you, right? And it just comes out of nowhere and you're you're emotionally wrecked. And then you're fine. And then another wave comes crashing. And over time, those sets get longer and longer and there they get more space in between those breaks uh, that come crashing down. And And I've shared that episode numerous times with numerous people because I've had people ask me, Hey Kip, you know, how do you share you know, how you deal with grief? And I'm like, uh, well, you know, here's Jocko, right? And so I've shared that up. And and although I've dealt with deaths, uh, none of them have been like this. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. Uh, I've had friends died. I've had old high school girlfriends pass away. Like I've had these things, but it's it's different, right? My father was different, and um, and I couldn't relate to that analogy that Jocko shared until my dad. And that's exactly in it. And it's a perfect analogy because that's exactly how it happened. Like I would think I'm okay. And someone lo- looks at me a weird way or someone says something, anything. And, and I, you know, I'd break down, you know, I, I remember the first time uh, is actually even before my dad's death. Uh, Cause but just to, for those listening, 
in farmer years, he's probably like 125, but he, right. my dad was, my dad was 75, uh, and pretty much spent the majority of his life. And I don't say this lightly working himself to sleep every day, right. A insanely hard worker. Like I, I know no one that, that works like that man worked. And, and so it's very hard on his body. He was a coal miner for numerous years, had a farm, had a dairy farm in his younger years, and then also was a, a butcher. And none of those things, the majority of my life, he did all three of those. So it wasn't like he quit and did the other one. He just did it all. And he always did the work until it was meant to be finished. And so it was really hard on his body. But my point being is he he started shuffling and kind of, you know, you could see he's he's struggling uh, physically probably over the last I think really over the last six months before his death, but the week before his death, it, there was a noticeable change, right? Like it, it so it was quick. It, it pretty much, you know, a week before his death, I knew that he was going to probably die within a couple of weeks. Um, and so it was kind of a quick turnaround and then, and then his passing. Um, so that week leading up to his death, I, I started contemplating, right? I, I started thinking like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to lose my dad, right? I'm not going to see him again. And and really, unfortunately, that last week of his life, he, his cognitive abilities were almost gone. So there's very minimal conversation I could have with him or whatnot. But but nonetheless, um, you know, I remember one night we're saying family prayers and, and my daughter decides to say, you know, and my kids, it's funny, my daughters call my dad Grandpa Cowboy and my three-year-old calls him Grandpa Farmer. And that's, that's how they've always known him. And so my daughter, you know, says a blessing for grandpa cowboy. And I just lose it mid prayer, right? Like I just broke down, you know, with the idea that I'm not sure if I'm ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready to lose my dad. And so, um, but, and, and you're asking how do you deal with it? I've got coached years ago that, and, and this is one of the things that many people misunderstand about Stoics, right? Because they think, they think the modern definition of stoicism, right? Be stoic, Josh, don't show your emotions. No, no, no. Stoics were never about hiding your emotions. They were always about understanding them. And so, um, so I've always taken the approach of owning it. So if I'm crying, I'm crying. I'm not trying to hide my tears. No, I'm owning how I feel. And I'm, I'm owning the moment. Now, that doesn't happen very often. In fact, my daughter said, that's the first time I've ever seen you cry, dad, you know, uh, which I had to kind of contemplate a little bit, like, is that a good thing or not? Um, but nonetheless, that's how it's been, you know, and it's sometimes it's people saying, you know, how you doing or sorry about your dad. And all of a sudden <laughs> I lose my shit <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I'm emotional, you know? So, uh, so I just try to own it. And, and the day of his funeral, I, I was fully present. You know, I wasn't trying to hide anything. I was just there for my dad to honor him uh, and just being really present to, to the loss of his life, you know, and, and, and my ability to see him at least for now. Yeah. 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 You talk about, you know, the first time, that was the first time that your daughter thinks that she saw you cry. You guys must <laughs> yeah. not have been watching the Fox and the Hound together. Because <laughs> she has never seen that movie and she's overly sensitive, right? I can't let my two daughters, I'm not joking. <laughs> 10 and eight years old. Uh, what, what did we watch? I made the mistake. This is a funny story. I made the mistake of taking them to, is it Gringotts? Or no, no. What's the, the newer Harry Potter movies? Oh, I, 
You know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. Like the, the modern ones that happen in America, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I kind of fell off Harry Potter about that time frame, So I can't, I know what you're talking about. Anyhow. So, so there's a part in the story where, where this baby gets like they're escaping a boat from sinking and they jump into like a rescue boats and a baby gets left in the water. Like, I'm not sure if the baby was left in the boat or got dropped or whatever. I can't remember, but it sets the precedence that this baby drowned to death. And, and the directors were smart what they do. Cause you know, that's maybe too much for most people. So they, they had this blanket, like, you know, falling down the water and you could barely see a silhouette of like a baby behind it. Right. Me being the idiot, I have my daughter in that movie and she's, you know, she's probably about nine at the time and we're watching and I'm kind of a little nervous that she's catching what's happening. And she goes, where's the baby? Is that the baby? And, and I'm like, baby, baby, it's okay. And she's like, where's the baby? And then she freaks right in the middle of the movie theater, starts screaming, oh, no, man. not the baby. <laughs> like, just like lose it. And I just grab her, run out of the theater. So we can't, we can't watch any movie like the Fox and the Hound. She would trust me. Yeah. She would be a wreck. Yeah. So <laughs> she's very sensitive to things, which in, in hindsight, we, uh, we see it as a blessing. So we'll, yes. we'll keep it as yes. much as we can. Yeah. I've got, I've got a son that when he was little would act out and get so into whatever he watched. So, you know, <laughs> so he's like arguing with the characters and stuff kind of stuff. Oh, or what? So, well, and like the movie would, o- would be over and he would, he's, he was always been, I mean, he's an adult, he's married now, you know, but he's yeah, yeah. always Mr. Defender of truth and justice. But be, right before he got married, he came over and we watched, uh, I think it was Creed two together. Really? Like all of us were yeah. this excellent movie. Yeah. And, and the movie ends, he's still living at home. He hasn't moved out quite yet. So there's a little bit of that father son, like stuff going on <laughs> anyway. And yeah, yeah. for whatever reason, this movie got his adrenaline pumped up so much. And then he smarted off. And then it was such, it was a nightmare. I, I have apologized multiple times for my escalation, but you know, when it's your, when your dad and it's your home, and it goes too far, then you, you know, retaliate. Man, it was. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, I don't. It wasn't oh, out of character. That was him his whole life. You know, yeah. he was always like, like whatever the the movie was, it just got into his soul. You know, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say like, and that's an interesting conversation, right? We we could derail about that whole conversation <laughs> about it was that bad, right? We like we live in this world that like. Hey, Josh, you shouldn't escalate that. You know, even though your dad, it's your kid. Right. Like part of me says like, F that. No, there's a pecking order here. I'm your dad. Here's the rules. If you're going to follow them. Awesome. If not, get out. Yeah. Like, well, I, I don't know. Like I, I, in hindsight, I, this is what I think. I think our generation has been, a lot of us probably got beat up a lot by our parents when we were kids. <laughs> and I think that pendulum has swung way too far. And now we're like, oh, no, no, we don't discipline our kids in any form of, you know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know. I, I think maybe we've gotten too soft on our kids. One thing's for sure. Like, that's why, I don't know. Maybe I'm overly competitive, but no, if, I, if my kids started getting too good at jujitsu where they could take me, <laughs> it would bother me. It would bother me. I'm oh, like, yeah. no, no, no. My job is to always be able to kick your ass, period. Yeah. And, yeah. and then when I can't, maybe that's the time that I, you, you bury me, you know? So my, <laughs> my dad later in his life, you know, he was, he had to retire cause his body was just broken down, you know, his backs 
I think they 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 took him to the doctor before um uh before disability to try to figure out everything that was wrong with him. And they're like, oh, when did you break your back? It's like I broke my back. <laughs> you no know, way. it just healed in two places, yeah. and he had no idea. That's the he, but he was super tough, super strong. And just kind of grinned and bared it. And so he's limping across the floor one day. And I made some kind of comment about him being an old man. And I was an adult <laughs> at this point. And he came at me and like like ninja moved and like hit every pressure point from my head to my toes before I could even blink. And I'm like, I am never calling him an old man again. Yeah. You're like, sorry, pops. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's you're a young funny. man. You just walk funny. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Well, and then if you start losing it, then you just start start throwing stuff at your kids. Because I, I I remember I'd smack I'd smack talk my mom. Then she'd go for a slap or something. I'd I'd block, and then she'd like start grabbing stuff to throw at me. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> I'll watch myself. Yeah, I I found that I am finding that I'll say it that way. Now that you know, I've just got one left at home. I'm like, if I do it right. I don't even have to say anything. <laughs> you so know, true. if you like, if you do it right, you can communicate everything you need to communicate with a look. You yeah. Know? I'm not saying that you should never. Yeah. Like kids need physical discipline. I think, I think kids need correction and sometimes they just need to see that you're tough, you know, without yeah. hurting them. But man, I'll tell you what, those, those times when you can just say, you know, they can know exactly what it is that you're feeling and thinking just by the eye contact and the, the weight of totally. your breath. <laughs> yep. I remember when I, when my boys were younger, all I'd have to do is get on my knee, get eye level with them, grab them by the shoulder, you know, with a little bit of force, you know, and talk to them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And between the combination of those two things, they're usually like, okay, got you, dad. You know, yep. like Whatever it didn't require say. much more than that. Yeah. So how, how old are your kids? So I am, uh, you already know, like if I have to, uh, if I have to pause to explain something, then that it automatically <laughs> illustrates his, hers and ours. So, <laughs> so I have, two, I have two boys from a previous marriage and those two boys are, are 22, 20, 21 and 19 or 22 and 20, one of those. Um, and then my wife has a son and he's just turned 18. And then we have three kids together and they're what we call our batch two and batch two are, are 10, eight and three. So we have like wow. this upfront group that's virtually all out of the house and on their own. And then we have it's almost like the second batch of, or the second attempt to be good parents. That's our second <laughs> batch. <laughs> we yeah. Take all the mistakes from the first three and uh, <laughs> see if we can get it right the second time. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I'm glad. I mean, listen, if God, you know, made stuff grow back together and we had another baby, I'd be happy, but I'm glad that I'm in grandparent mode now. So I'm going to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny. We were on the fence. Well, first off, when we first got married, we talked about having kids and I'm like, you know, we have zero kids in diapers. We travel all over the place. Are we sure we want to do this? Right. Like this is going to like, we're going to go back to that, you know? Uh, and we decided, yes. And then we had the two girls and we were kind of content there. And, um, and my wife, uh, she actually got pregnant on, uh, by accident and, um, and then she had a miscarriage. Mm. And by the way, that was the first time that's ever happened with us or with her. And it was actually way more 
tragic and sad. And I get had its old thing. I didn't even think about, right. I, I always thought it was like, Oh, uh, you know, oops, no big deal. You know, it's like, no, we got excited for months. We accepted this idea that another baby was coming. My, my wife, like partially delivered, you know what I mean? Like, man, this is like, it was like a horrible experience. And, and that was our, that was our sign was wait a second. Like if we were so distraught about that baby not coming, then that's our sign that, that we got one more in the bag. So, so we ended up having the, the, to the caboose, you know, the three-year-old pop up. And once he showed up, it only took about maybe, I don't know, two months for us to realize we are certainly done. <laughs> he has helped us. He has helped us yeah. get off the fence of uh, having more kids to go. Yeah, we're, we're certainly over. And the fact that I might be like in a walker at his high school graduation right. is the other thing. That I'm like, I should be about 60 years old by the time he graduates. I'm like, this, this is not, not where I want to be. So that's awesome. Oh, well, yeah. What, what do you think is your favorite part about being a dad? Oh, um, so this kind of goes in with my dad conversation and I, and I think it's, I think it's, I don't say this out of disrespect. I, I actually, I think it's important for people to see this. So if you don't mind me utilizing it as an example. So, um, who was I talking to after my dad's funeral? I was talking, someone asked me, it was like a friend, like they were at the, they were at the funeral to support me. You know what I mean? But they didn't really know my dad. Uh, and by the way, I had so many people come to the funeral that had no idea who my dad was, but knew me. Mm-hmm. And it was greatly appreciated. Um, but nonetheless, I had one of those guys reach out to me and said, Hey, uh, man, your dad must have been a, an amazing guy. And I'm like, well, not, nah, I mean, he was okay. He was actually quite a bad father. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, he was horrible. <laughs> he, he, he was like on paper. He, he, he was not very good at it at all. Right. And, um, and it's funny because I think it's funny because everyone assumes like, you know, you guys respecting him and Kip, you're so affected, you know, in fact, you know, not, you know, maybe I will say this at a little bit of spite. I, I had a brother, one of my brothers reached out to me. He goes, Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing okay. And, uh, and he goes, Oh, is this your first time dealing with death with a, with a, a death of a loved one? And I'm like, no, but I don't understand your point. And he's like, Oh, well, you seem distraught. And I, and I was like, you dick. I'm like, this is your dad. Like the, the one guy that could actually screw up the job of fatherhood and you still owe him some respect, right? Just the title alone, just the idea of what it means to be a father and the fact that he provided and he was the baseline by which I measured manhood is enough. Like that's enough, right? In the grand scheme of things. And it was enough for me. And, and I learned later in my years that love is, it, it's a tricky thing in the sense of we can choose to love one people based upon pretense and reasons, right? And most people will. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm playing on words a little bit, but it illustrates a point. For instance, we, I could ask you, Josh, or I can ask anybody and says, why do you love your wife? And we would give reasons and reasons why we love them. Well, you know, she's beautiful and she takes care of me. She's a great mom. And, 
you know, she supports me and we could all have all these things. But you know what no one hardly ever says? Because I choose to. She could stop being beautiful. She could stop being a bad mother. She could, I mean, start being a bad mother. My dad could show up on paper, not that good of a dad. And it's still a choice that I have to choose to love him exactly as the man that he was. Right. And, and so my favorite thing about being a dad is to do all the things I wish my dad would have done. And, and, and ironically, that's not out of spite, right? I'm not going around like, play with me, kids, because I'm going to be a better dad than my dad. You know, it's not like a victim thing. But it's like, man, like if anything, it's out of empathy. I think, man, you know what? How enjoyable would it have been for my dad to see me play sports? To, to be proud to, to see his name on my jersey. But he never did. But at what? what an unfortunate thing that he missed out on. Right. I remember the first time I saw Sorenson on the back of my son's Jersey, I about cried. He didn't even, he played only half the hockey game. You know what I mean? But I was like, that's us, you know? And so I, I think my best part about being a, yeah, my favorite part of being a dad is, is trying to bridge the gap and go, you know what? These are all the things I wish my dad would have done with me, would have wrestled with me on the ground. You know what I mean? Would have had one on time with me and, and go on guys night out to nickel Kate or go to the movies or, you know, go grab some ice cream together. I mean, those are the things that I, I so wanted for my father. And so, um, so just because out of absence of that in my life, I think just the opportunity to be a good dad is in, in itself the reward. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So obviously you've got a career that you've built. You, you work hard at that. Do you find uh, that it's difficult to have a balance between the providing side of family and the, that taking care of things at home where they need you there too? Yeah. Um, how's this? I think it's a balance because one is easier than the other. <laughs> yeah. Work is easier it's easier to stay in your office and work hard and, and then to make the excuse that I'm doing this for my family <laughs> and, and not have to deal with the three-year-old that just won't stop asking you questions for two hours straight. <laughs> you know, like we're just not built to do those things as easily and though it's harder. And ironically enough, back to what we were saying earlier, and it's harder because, and, and whatever's harder, we assume we shouldn't do, you know, it's like, no, it's meant to be harder. I, I need my patience th threatened <laughs> and challenged so I can learn how to be better at that. And, and so um, I don't, I, I find, uh, how is this? It's a, you know, Ryan uses this analogy and I'm totally robbing it from him. Um, but, and, and I actually use this with our employees, work-life balance. What's work-life balance? Balancing is this constant course correction, right? I, I imagine a balance board. You're constantly back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? And if you, and if, I don't know if you surf, but if you start falling behind, you lean forward, right? To get in front, right? Of the wave and, and vice versa. That's life. It's always a balance, 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 balance. And, and so um, is it attempting for me to make work a priority and abandon my responsibilities at home? For sure, because it's the easier thing to do. Um, but generally I, I try not to, and I, and I, 
usually find most success when I don't try to, to multitask and just be present in the moment. So if I'm wrestling with a three-year-old on the floor, I am wrestling, you know, I'm the world's best wrestler of three-year-olds, you know, in that moment. And I'm not trying to check emails. I'm not trying to do other things. I'm just in the moment being fully present with my children. Um, and usually that's kind of my, has been my level of success is just presence. When I'm done with work, I'm done. So you talked earlier about uh, jujitsu. I think you mentioned if your kids get better at it, do you do that as a family? Is that something you do together? Yeah. So my three-year-old will, my plan is my three-year-old has no idea that there's such a life without jujitsu. So I'm starting it early enough that it's not going to even be a choice. <laughs> it just is there. This um, is what we do. This is what we do. Yep. Uh, my daughters, on the other hand, uh, they, they primarily do gymnastics and dance. And so I'm always competing with gymnastics and dance to try to get jujitsu in uh, for a little while. We had the mats out at home and we did kind of like a little bit of a family class every Sunday and I would teach them some moves just so they're learning something. But um, no, it's, it's pretty much my thing and I'll force it onto my three-year-old <laughs> and I, and I rag my daughters that they should know jujitsu. So, sure. but al although my oldest daughter today is like, Hey dad, I'm, I'm ready to stop doing dance and I just want to do jujitsu. So I'm like, ah, let's do it. So I've, I've so. got a dancer too, and she is tough. I've never been hit. And I, I was in a lot of fights through middle school, man. Like a lot, yeah. like almost every yeah. day. I have never <laughs> been hit as hard as I have by that girl when she was 12. I mean, she's 17 now when she yeah. was 12, she decided she was going to show me how tough she was. I'm like, well, let's go, you know? And I'm telling you what, she hurts, hurts. Popped you. So, you know, I think there's something to that dancing. I think it gives them a little bit of momentum. <laughs> totally. My daughters, they have done gym gymnastics since they were both five. They are so strong. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter has like an eight pack at age 10. I mean, they, they, their body control is amazing. Uh, so much that I'm, I think I'm going to get the little guy. Once he turns five, I'm going to put him in gymnastics mm -hmm. for the first five years of, of his life, just to build strength. And it's they really impressive. Gym, gymnasts typically, not only are they strong, but they also don't feel pain because they just like have to keep doing the thing over and over again. And if it hurts, they just keep going. Oh. Totally. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> the sign in their school is we do hard things. That's like their motto <laughs> because they're tired of all these kids whining all the time. And the teachers are like brutal. Yeah. I love it. Like some, some neighborhood girls are like, Oh, our daughter didn't like that class. Cause the teachers are so mean. I'm like, I love it. Like <laughs> yell at them. It's perfect. Yeah. Harden them. Yeah. Well, cause that's the thing. If you don't prepare them for the real world, then the real world's going to eat them up. Yeah. When, like we talked about already, it's like the, the theme of this call is like, Hey, greatness is made through suffering, right? Like the, there is no learning and growth in anything other than difficulty. A price must be paid, right? Whether it's gymnastics, whether it's learning about what's important in life or anything else, right? There's always, you know, that's where growth lies, right? So is in, in the, in the uncomfortable. You do it because you choose to. Yeah. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. We got all kinds of themes running here, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with your, your job, with the leadership things that you do, what, what do you find is the role? Like, like our culture right now, obviously is a, is a mess. You know, we've got 
nobody seems to understand, you know, or value what it means to be a man. Do you find yourself, uh, do you, do you find yourself in your professional life or in the other things you do? Do you find yourself running into that at all? How do you react to that? Um, first off, I, I, I agree with you and my reaction to the sentiment around masculinity and, and, and the role that men have in society, it, it's frustrating. Like it, <laughs> I immediately just get upset. Um, and not upset like I lose my emotion, but just, man, it's so unfortunate. And and the repercussions of some of these ways of thinking, I think, is far greater than we realize, way greater than we realize. In fact, one of my, well, actually, as ironically enough, one of my favorite books on the subject, have you read this book yet? Uh, I The have, Boy Crisis? I've read the cliff notes. I'll have okay, to read the so, whole book. Well, and it's... Freaking, I know <laughs> that's a big book. Um, but the boy crisis, man, like people have no idea, people have no idea what they're doing to young men, um, and and how we're setting them up for a complete failure, right? We have we have a society that will demonize that, that if if you're a male, it's okay to demonize you, and then if you're white male, it's even even better. And we'll, but we won't call that sexist. We won't call that racist. We'll just call that. Okay. And man, the, and the repercussions of it are just, it's sad. And man, I, I could go on the subject all day, but your, your question is, do I run into it? Not too often. I mean, let's be honest. All right. Right. I, I train the mats. I train jujitsu multiple times a week. Those guys are masculine men. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're not, there's no guys there like avoiding confrontation. We are going there to show up for confrontation. Right. right. Um, and, and just the, the, what it takes to, to progress in Brazilian jujitsu requires a really unique type of personality. So I don't see it there. Luckily the company I decided to merge with their owner and that executive team is in line with me, right? This podcast where I record Aura Man podcast and where I am today is in the office space of where I work. We knew that this is part of the bag of having me come on board was this is what I do, right? And so, so I have great alignment with the guys I work with um, and, and kind of and my boss for that matter. Um, and then, of course, I surround myself with, you know, all the men of the Iron Council and, and Order of Man. And, and we're all aligned. Now, do I walk around like... Man, I, I was at the mall. I was at the mall yesterday. No, no, no. Day before yesterday on Friday. And, and I just can't help walking around and looking at all these spineless and, and I'm being highly judgmental. So sure. forgive me, everybody, or or just realize I'm being a complete dick here. Um, <laughs> but I look around and I see all I see is spineless men that are afraid. They're so wrapped up in their social identities of acting a certain way and dressing a certain way. And they are so aware, unaware of themselves and, and how weak they are. Like you could just see it in the way they walk. And it's just, I don't know, it's pathetic. And, and I, and I was telling my wife, I was like, you know what? Pray to the Lord that we never have to have this generation or you know, and I'm judging our, the whole generation on these kids I've seen. And I know that's not the tr- case, right? Like I'm not trying to judge an entire generation here, but, but nonetheless, I'm like, let's just hope this group doesn't have to fight a war 
because they wouldn't even show up. They would all give up because they're all, they've never done anything difficult in their lives. And so, I don't know. Do I have an opinion? <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. I, I don't run into it very often because of, of kind of the circles I run into. Um, but, you know, stuff you hear on the news and, and just seeing how entitled kids are and how soft we're being on young men. And, and this idea that like, it's bad to be masculine is just, I'm tired of it. Right. Like I even saw an Instagram post earlier today of, I don't know, maybe it was a real, I, I get, I totally get sucked into Instagram reels. <laughs> like I'll be like an hour later, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm wasting time. But I, I saw a post and someone says, all oh, you know, five things that I want from the, from a man to listen, to be kind and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, do these things. And, and I wouldn't disagree with any of them. I'm like, yeah, those are all good things, but you know, those are only good things if he's capable of the opposite. Mm-hmm. A kind man that is only kind because he's weak is not a kind man. A dangerous man that makes a choice to be kind, that's something to be honorable about, right? That's something to appreciate. Otherwise, the other guy, he's just a coward, right? And, and he's incapable of being aggressive. He's in, incapable of being uh, dangerous, Thus, that's his default. That's not honorable. You know what I mean? If that's your only choice. So, you know, and I think Jordan Peterson, you know, he's quoted a lot in regards to, you know, his statements around the powers of a dangerous man. And and I, I wholeheartedly agree that, um, I don't know. I, and I think, I think the downplaying of masculinity is, is already a negative thing in society. I mean, you look at the statistics of, I mean, uh, Dr. Farrell's book, the statistics alone, uh, you just take a household and you take a dad out of the house, man, the, the probability of success for kids drastically drops. Everything from jail time to graduating high school, to success in life, probability of getting married in the future. All the stats are horrible the minute you remove a dad from the house. And the, and the reason why is because they need a masculine presence in the home. Right. And this is one of those sayings. And this is where everyone gets sideways. Like, will moms? No, they're not the same. Like, stop trying to make men and women the same. They're not the same. Mom brings something to the table. I can't bring to the table. And guess what? I bring something to the table that she can't. And both are perfect. And as couples, we need to stop doing that, too. Right. Just because mom's overly sensitive. I need to not make her wrong for that. That's okay. That's her job. Right. And my job is to be a little bit more stern and hard. And she needs to honor that as well. So it's it just, the numbers are there. Anyone interested in learning more about it, grab Dr. Farrell's book, The Boy Crisis, and it will shake your world in regards to what's um, the difficulties that are being placed for young boys and, and, and future men. And by the way, that's coming from Dr. Farrell that was appointed by Obama. This isn't a conservative, you know, Republican, right-wing kind of guy. In fact, I, I, I highly doubt I would align with him on any political viewpoints whatsoever. Um, and so this is, this is raw data that, that he's put together and, and put into that book. And it's, it's really profound. So there, yeah. call to action. There we go. Well, you know, I could like unpack about 50 things you said and have another entire podcast episode, but totally. so let's, let's go to the one that I think is probably the most intriguing that we just talked about the idea of a dangerous man. So I know, like I, like I grew up fighting, you know what I mean? I was a a kid that got bullied and I had to fight. So for me, I know how to fight. 
you know, I know how to shoot. I'm, you know, and, and I still have, even though I've gained some weight in my life and I'm not as strong and physically, you know, capable as I was, you know, I, I think I could hold my own if I had to. And honestly, most of the time, just walking, just my presence, you know, I've walked into situations where someone was going to, you know, hurt somebody just walking in, folding my arms and giving him that look we talked about earlier with the kids has diffused so many situations because somebody had the balls to step into the situation, you know, and insert himself in and not even say a word just to be there. So, but I know that a lot of the people that are, uh, there's a lot of young men out there that are wanting to know what it means to be a man. That's they're the ones that are listening to this podcast. They're listening to the order of man podcast. They're in the groups and they're asking questions and they're trying to learn because nobody's taught them. So how does a man become that dangerous man under control? Where would you start with that? Yeah. So first off, I, I like to point out as, as young boys and we did, I did this. Well, first off, Josh, I, I got the, sh- the shit beat out of me most of my childhood. We moved a lot. I was the new kid in the school and it felt like every single time I moved into a new school, I didn't get friends until I got in a fight, right? Like that was kind of like the prerequisite for young boys. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I got in a lot of fights and, and I always had this mentality, even that, even after that experience, I had this mentality that, well, when, when, when um, the situation arises, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll rise to the occasion, you know, and, and we hear this from guys all the time, like men's like, oh, was well, someone messed with my family? Well, psh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to become Superman and I'm going to bullshit. That's not what happens. You, you rise to the level of your training. So anyone listening that thinks they're dangerous and they're going to all of a sudden know how to throw a right cross or an overhand right or shoot in and take someone down or shoot someone under pressure effectively or whatever, or defuse the situation. If you haven't trained, if you don't have experience, you're not going to rise to any occasion. You're, you're going to coward because you don't know what to do. Right. And, and the perfect example of this is, you know, I, I was uh, years back, I witnessed a really, really horrific wreck off of a freeway. I pulled over, ran up to the scene, I froze and I froze because I wasn't trained. I have no idea what to do. I'm like, should I grab that person? Uh, is their spine going to break? Should I check for blood? Do I, you're like, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I wasn't trained. Now, ironically enough, my wife and I have done uh, EMT training since then. I now feel if that same situation occurred, I would go into action because I know what to do. And it's not an emotional thing anymore. It's Oh, okay. This is what you do first, you know, because I've been trained up to some extent, or at least I hope I would act appropriately. Right. It hasn't happened. Um, same thing with, with why I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? I'm not going to react to an emotional situation. I'm going to approach it really calmly. Why? Because I put myself in a predicament of getting choked like thousands of times from other people. And so I, I know what those feelings feel like to not be able to move and, and to feel threatened or to get frustrated with someone and control myself. Right. And so just as a thought, just first off is we rise to the level of our training. And if there's been no training, you're you're not going to rise to the occasion. I think that's going to be the exception to the rule. Um, Now with that said is where do young men start about being dangerous training? 
create situations by which you have an opportunity to be dangerous. Now, that sounds weird. So let's clarify a bunch of things, right? Don't go start a fight <laughs> or, you know, I'm not, that's what I'm saying, right? In a controlled setting, figure out how to put yourself in situations where you need to be dangerous and where it's uncomfortable. Take some punches to the face, take a kick to the leg, see how it feels, and then feel those emotions of like, I'm going to hurt this guy because I'm angry because he made me look bad or that really hurt. And, and having to wrestle with yourself inside and the dialogue and everything else that comes from that type of training. Um, yeah. And, and, and there's other levels of this, right? Like Josh, like other ways to feel uncomfortable, right? That's why one of the top things is like, if, if guys are struggling with being on a path of some sorts, like start working out, do things that are difficult to do, right? Like I, um, I had a conversation with a young man that was like struggling with, with pornography. And, and he was like, you know, where do I start? And I was like, well, what do you do that challenges you mentally? And, and he didn't have anything. I'm like, well, start there. What are you doing to exercise delayed gratification? What are you doing to practice what it's like to have delayed gratification? Nothing. Okay. I got it. Something for you. Do 200 curls. By rep 20, you will be fighting delayed gratification for another 180 reps, right? (laughs) You're going to go, this sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm going to do it anyway. And you're going to have that dialogue of like, the natural man trying to say, give up, you take it easy. Don't get, you know, no reason to do this. This is stupid or whatever. And so are we practicing any form of uncomfortableness in our life? And, and that's part of being dangerous. But I think to answer your question, I, that's a long answer. My apologies, but put ourselves in training situations where we have a chance to be dangerous and what it feels like to be acted upon in a dangerous way uh, and how we're going to emotionally handle it. I would say that'd be the first step. I think that's excellent, excellent yeah. advice. And I yeah. think, uh, you know, and, and work towards getting physically fit. You know, I mean, yeah. if you can't, if you can't jog up a flight of stairs without getting winded like me, I can't do that yet. I'm working on it. Yeah. You know, uh, you're not going to be able to <laughs> last a two minute round with some guy trying to, you know, rape and murder your family, you know? Totally. Yeah. And you'll get an adrenaline dump. Don't get me wrong. You'll get a boost of adrenaline mm-hmm. in those circumstances, but that shit wears off. And then what? Yeah. Right. Then you're getting shot. Right. Or you're getting beat up or your kids are getting taken. I mean, who knows what, man? Like I, I would take it really serious if I were most guys is like, you know, be in a position like jujitsu. We, we see this all the time, right. With the, with the new white belts, right. Big, massive white belt comes in and, and you want, and he's dangerous. He's big and dangerous. What do you do? You just let him burn himself out is what you do. And when he's done, then you choke him. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you don't match his strength. You just let him burn himself out. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to ask all my guests a couple of questions. And the yeah. first one, and I think we, I, I can almost guess maybe a little bit of what you're going to say based on some of our conversation earlier. But let's say that, uh, like the movie that's on Netflix right now, The Adam Project, where Ryan Reynolds meets the younger version of himself, which I like. I The movie came out. I'm like, hey, I ask that question all the time. Yeah, you're like, this is my idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would happen if you ran into the eight to nine, 10 year old version of yourself? What would you tell him? Yeah. So I, so there's a couple things. Um, and, and I, my apologies to overly, be overly analytical 
in regards to your question. Um, but, but, but I just want to be clear. It'd be different for everybody, right? Cause where I was at eight to t- eight to 10 and what I needed to hear is so drastically different than what you would probably need to hear. Um, and let's be honest, where was my thought process at eight to 10, right? It was like, be accepted by my classmates. Cause I was getting in fights all the time. That's probably all I cared about. <laughs> and, and maybe my dad paying, paying attention because I started creating a story around that age, right. That I wasn't good enough, right. For my parents. And, um, and so I really think now, let me answer it that way. I actually think that we all have defining moments in our life and, and, and roughly between the ages of six to 10, we all probably have a moment at six to 10 where we can remember it just like it was yesterday. And we decided something was wrong. And we were going to adjust who we were being in life based upon that experience or based upon that thought or perception at the moment. And, and mine was the one that I was, I was not good enough for my parents. Right. I've held on to that story. Uh, luckily I know it's a story now, right. But for a lot of my childhood, I, I saw that my lack of my quote unquote expectations that I had on my father and how he should have showed up was a result of not being good enough. And so if I was talking to my, my, myself in, in that age range of eight to 10, it would be to reassure myself that you are, that's all, um, that I was good enough. And now I know that may not help anyone else because that's going to be so drastically different from everybody else. But, but here's the point. And, and I know it's a hypothetical question, but if you, Josh, if you said, Hey, Kip, I got this time machine, screw the movie idea. I have this machine in the back and it will send you and you can actually pull this off. I wouldn't go. And I, and I wouldn't go because actually I am whole and complete and satisfied with who I am. I wouldn't dare screw shit up and go back because who knows, right? If I went back to eight to 10 and said, Hey, Kip, you're worth it. I'd be like, yeah, I don't need a fight to prove myself. And then all of a sudden, you know, like who knows what I'd be today if I, if I didn't have that drive, you know what I mean? So man, I I'm, I'm just grateful. I am grateful for where I'm at and, and the growth and the path that I've been on. So I don't, I wouldn't dare mess up my past at all. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And I would say, yes, that is what, when you look at your life, that is your response. And I do think that it's going to affect other people because I guarantee you that there's someone else out here that's listening that can relate to it and say, yeah. ah, you know what? I've been holding on this thought that I need to adjust. So that's why I asked that question. Totally. Totally. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I asked that question because we all often are still struggling with those lies that we believed when we were young, you know? So totally. Well, and let's be frank. Like I'd argue most people, probably 90% of people listen to the podcast. They have broken relationships with mom and dad. <laughs> most of us do, you know, and some of us shove it under the rug and we don't address it. So um, maybe that's the call to action too, is, you know, is clean that up. Excellent. So my next, my next question for you is what is the best advice that you have for the men that are listening today? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I try to give some thought to it, but I, I mean, I think based upon 
how the conversation is going and, and maybe we'll just rat hole off the eight to 10 year old version conversation. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I married my friend and his wife yesterday. Um, and so, so what I was going to say to them as I, um, as I, uh, facilitated their marriage has been on my mind, right. For the, for the past week, as I've been kind of mulling it over, cause I, I really wanted to make sure that it was impactful. And one of the things I shared with them is the power of commitment. And, and it's funny because we, we sometimes look at commitment like, oh, you know, Josh, you're committed, you're not, or yeah, you know, commitment looks slightly different. And, and there's actually levels of commitment and that commitment shows up different ways and it does different things in relationships. And, but one of the things that I shared with them is that we're constantly, commitment's like integrity. We're constantly fighting for it, right? Like I can be hundred percent integrity with you, Josh, right now, and then be completely out of integrity in five minutes, right? It's this, this constant battle to keep our honor, right? And keep our integrity. And, and I think commitment, I think growth in life is the same way. And it comes down to the moment. And that's why I've really latched onto the, the term who you are being, right? And I, and I, and I, I know it's maybe I need to come up with a better way of articulating it, but we could put goals in place. And I can say, I want to become a better father and do these tactics, right? I can do these tactics at work to be better at my job or be a better husband or a dad. And there are tactics, or I could just be all in, in the moment. And that's kind of what I, I see as being who you're, how you show up right now. And regardless of our pasts, regardless of yesterday or even earlier today and the mistakes that we've made, the only thing stopping us from being whole and complete and being in line and integrity is showing up right now and who we are being in the moment. And we just repeat that and we live in the moment constantly and be really present of how we're showing up, you know? And, and I think there's power in, you know, kind of having a vision of what that looks like, right? One of the, one of the morning rituals that, that I do is I, I read my, what I call my vision statement. And then I look at my calendar and my vision statement's not like Kip's going to, you know, make a hundred thousand more next year. And you know, it's not that it's like how I'm going to show up today. If problems, you know, like one of the phrases I, I have in there is if problems are show up today, I'm going to face them head on. I'm not going to shrink out of hopelessness or fear. And I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to stand for righteousness, right? And so I, I have that, it's kind of that version, right? Of a vision statement. And then I look at my calendar and then I go, okay, how does that guy show up to executive leadership at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning? How does that guy show up on the mats for noon practice? How does that guy show up walking into the door of my home? And when I see my kids, how does that guy, how does he show up or who, how is he being in those moments throughout the day? And that's ultimately what growth looks like, you know? And so I guess my advice would be, is like, it doesn't matter about the past because that's what we're talking about here, right? Is like, we all want to be better. Guys probably listen to this podcast, want to be a better versions of themselves and they want to rise up so they can provide um, and preside over their families and do better jobs, whether as a father or as an individual contributor or in their jobs or whatever. And so that means that you need to show up different 
right now than you have in the past. And that's all about your integrity and being fully, fully present in who you're being in the moment. Excellent. Yeah. So Kip, if our listeners want to get connected with you, if they want to, uh, you know, connect with the work you're doing or follow, where do you, where do you recommend they go? Yeah. So you can follow, I mean, if you, to learn about, I mean, I think orderofman.com for all things order of man and, and what we're doing there on the podcast, whether it's, you know, connecting with this uh, social on social media and whatnot. Um, and then of course you can connect with me on Instagram primarily is the only platform that I pretty much stay active on. And that's uh, Kip Sorensen with two P's. So K I P P S O R E N S E N. Awesome. That's it, man. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show today, my friend. Thank you. For, for sure. And I appreciate the conversation. And like we were talking earlier, I feel 100% better. And now I like, want to totally get after it just because of this conversation. So I, I honestly, I, I really appreciate the conversation, Josh. No, same here. I, I appreciate it very yeah. much. Thank you. Kip, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Manlyhood Mancast. I have learned a lot from you, and I really appreciate your candor and your story as you have worked through some hard and difficult situations, and you've turned them into fuel to become a better man. So thank you for that. Uh, if you have gotten something out of this interview, if if listening to this podcast episode has helped you in any way, what I want you to do is I want you to share it with somebody else that you know that it'll help. And I also want you to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. Let's help spread the word about this manlyhood movement together. Anyway, guys, lots more coming up as we wrap up season five and season six is on the way. I love you guys. I care about you and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. Cast.